Coming at you from Title One Studios, I'm Steph Scholl here with the Silver Dollar Man. And who's the Silver Dollar Man? Why, me of course, Scott Stevenson. All you real estate agents out there, the Utah housing market can feel like a rat race at times. You guys are constantly having to adapt and change. And here at Nominations, how do you separate yourself from the pack? This is a weekly dose to help you with that. We're going to ask you, Jeff, who would you want to nominate? Somebody who we, in well, actually, someone you believe could uh, could really be beneficial for the real estate community to be acquainted with. I think becoming really familiar with the tax the benefits and the advantages of real estate and the tax advantages and somebody who really understands that who, who I've known for a few years uh, who's been helpful and I see how he works with his clients is a CPA uh, has a small practice but he's he's growing and he's uh, uh, as I've seen him in practice and that he does a very very good job in helping people again, mitigate their tax liabilities and use the tax law to their benefit. And real estate, again, there's so many tax plays that are in the tax code and the tax law. One of the, uh, uh, a gentleman that I would, I, I would get acquainted with because he can help, his name is David Bushman of Bushman Accounting. And he is uh, somebody that I would highly advocate. Jeff Ingersoll just gave his shout out to Dave Bushman. So we're here with Dave. He is with Bushman Accounting, Tax and Finance. Even though he said it's just Bushman Accounting, <laughs> I wanted to give the full, the full He's name. He's afraid of that word tax. You know, yeah. nobody likes that word. <laughs> and we were actually really excited to have you on because for a lot of our, well, most of our listeners, yeah. they're doing their own, their own taxes, taxes as self-employed individuals. So we're like, this is very beneficial to help all of you listening. Yeah. In fact, you know, as a, uh, a small businessman myself for almost, well, 35 years or whatever, prior to coming to, t- to Title One, I was in the insurance business. And that's one of the things that can be really tricky is getting a good accountant, taxes, all the stuff that's coming at you. And a lot of real estate agents, when they first get in the business, they're used to getting a, a regular paycheck, income, and taxes taken out. So, so you are an important man <laughs> to the real estate industry, for sure. Well, okay. taxes are like the most people avoid their taxes. It would be interesting <laughs> to see the stats on who submits their taxes right when they get get their <laughs> information and how many people wait right until the last pop possible second yeah yeah no it's interesting i i've kind of told my staff i'm like it's really not to your benefit a lot of times to file right away because there's different things that can come out there's clarifications things this year that can change a lot of the tax code like they did at the end of march which can add a, a lot of variety to filing and uh yeah it can really mix things up and for the, on the cpa firm like on our side it kind of tripped us up because we had to our software had to be reprogrammed and stuff so this year was a very interesting uh, tax year for us um, i bet particularly particularly coming off of COVID. I'm sure that this has been a, a somewhat of a unique year for you than all the other years. Yeah, there were some new credits this year, um, different ways that it can be applied. You know, like on our tax organizer, we had to rework that at the end of the year for to account for stimulus money, making sure we're tracking that, that anybody that didn't get their stimulus, uh, that, they're, that they're getting that later. And yeah, there was a lot to it that a little, little things here and there that, and a lot of it was new. And, and so trying to figure out how that coordinates in and, and, fitting that all together. I want to ask you, and you don't need to sugarcoat this, 
(laughs) (laughs) But what do you feel like for self-employed individuals, what would you want them to hear? And you won't offend them because they're probably going to be grateful that you're telling them this. Yeah. So I I would say two parts. One is, you know, new business owners and things. A lot of times it's a good idea. Um, I tell... I don't tell everyone this, but I I tell them your idea may work. It's you that may not. Mm Because I say you got to be prepared for it. You got to have a client base ready to go or savings on the side or things. From what I've seen, people that don't succeed doing self-employed stuff is because they ran out of money. Usually is the case. The idea wasn't the problem. It was them not being able to fulfill that role. I mean, before I started Bushman Accounting, I had a year's worth of expenses uh, saved up. So I knew I wouldn't lose my house. I wasn't going to eat, but I wasn't going to lose my house, you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and I know I'd, I knew I could figure out the rest kind of thing. But then at the same time, I had a, you know, a, a client base kind of rolling in. I'd been a tax auditor for the state of Utah for five years. Um, so everyone knew I was in the tax world. I'd make comments on Facebook, do different, different things to build my circle kind of. And uh, I could see what was coming down the pipe. And so I'd, I was working at another firm at the time kind of maneuvering my way to see if I could become partner, things like that, because I could see what was coming down the pipe. It it was apparent to me it wasn't going to happen. So I said, thanks. See you later. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start my own. Um, And so ever since then, it's, I mean, it's been great. We've almost doubled every year. Um, I I realize eventually that's, it's impossible to double all the time. Sure. But yeah, it's, it's, I mean, there's always growing pains with that and things. Yeah. A lot of benefit of the self-employed, but also making sure that you're ready personally as well. Your family's ready, that your finances are ready for things like that. And then on the second part, I'd say, because I meet with a lot of self-employed people that are new to working with a CPA. I'd say that was part of the one issue of their one part of their problem was not knowing what what they're getting into and how things can affect their taxes. TurboTax, you know, or the online, the tax acts, tax layer, things like that. They're good software. I, I tell people, no offense, it's the user. You know, you yeah. don't know how it's what's supposed to be going in. You don't know what it's supposed to look like coming out. And so you can miss things along the way. I mean, even with my software, we spend tens of thousands of dollars on our software. And even then when we data enter stuff, it's not looking the way we want it to and have to figure things out and and, and maneuver it. Um, and with someone who doesn't do that all the time, it's going to be very difficult. And there's a lot to it where, you know, the, how the self-employment tax can take effect. What should be showing here? What is deductible? What's not deductible? There's just so, so much to it that I typically will tell a self-employed person, I'm like, if that's not your cup of tea, you probably ought to not to. Um, you know, eventually just know your limits and know your skill set and let a professional do their thing and, you know, and and you hire the professionals to do their thing. And yeah, and I found, I don't think it, it, I mean, it's not like it's super expensive to have a CPA uh, doing all these things for you. And you can certainly lose a lot more in your tax benefits by things you don't know, because most people really don't know. In fact, I was talking about this the other day. In fact, you probably have heard this, you know, they, the, they got a hold of those tax returns of all those billionaires, and a, a lot of them aren't paying any taxes. And the reason they're not paying any taxes is not because they're doing things that are illegal. They're just smart in using the tax code. And a CPA knows the tax code and most people just don't yeah it was it was interesting i mean it's hard with without getting into politics you know yeah not knowing all of trump's stuff but then also seeing biden's return and doing the comparisons and things it was really interesting to do that because you're like oh yeah we do all that stuff in our office all you know they've we've implemented that we do that and you know they probably trump's got i'm sure he spends 
hundreds of thousands of dollars on his CPA. And it's like, yeah, we do that same thing and we do it at a lot cheaper rate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell some clients that get frustrated with owing taxes still and mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. How do these billionaires always get away with, you know, not paying any tax stuff? I and I always tell them there's no silver bullet. There's nothing that's going to make it go right through and you're never going to owe any tax. It's the accumulation of this and that and depreciations and, and building up that where, yeah, they had that investment for 20 years and now it's finally come and, you know, they've offset it and things like that, where there's there's business ownership in there. And it's a building of your empire kind of thing that um, eventually gets you to that point. And which which I get the, the thought process behind where it's difficult to conceptualize why someone would pay mm -hmm. zero. But it's those investments that they probably made, you know, 10 to 20 years ago that are finally coming through that. And it's just that long term long-term game so i like a lot of things that have been discussed i like your honesty how it's usually the user error <laughs> <laughs> and stuff but you talked about deductions and this is a true story my friend told me about this date she went on and the guy told her that he was deducting the date <laughs> because they were talking <laughs> about his business and now i'm not an accountant but that sounded a little fishy to me is that correct like do i do you only have to talk about business <laughs> to be able to deduct? What I tell my clients is usually it's, you know, a contractor or potential mm -hmm. contractor client or potential client where business was discussed before, during or after, but it needs to be necessary for business. Yeah, this um, wasn't necessary for and, business. And reasonable in cost, <laughs> things like that. Um, so, I mean, he can include it, but if he gets audited, <laughs> you know, had to raise his arm to the square, what's, what's the right answer there? <laughs> Love it. So, what deductions do people not know about? Uh, a lot of it is, so one thing, kind of, and I kind of take it back to structuring a little bit, is if you're just starting out, say you just got your real estate license, you're just dabbling into it, you know, you're kind of making money on the side, that's probably appropriate to be in an LLC because you're you're a separate entity. And then a part of that is I tell them to go get a separate bank account, which really is a part of the requirements of keeping things separate so you're not piercing the corporate veil, stuff like that. In that is making sure that any income and expenses that are associated with that business go through that. Sometimes we'll answer that question for people is, well, does it help you make that money? Then yes, it's probably deductible in a sense. I mean, there mm -hmm. might be more to it. And run it through that account because then when we go do the books on that account, we're, it's all going to be in there. There's a lot of questions on most of the time is like auto expenses. You've got your actual expenses or your mileage, uh, especially with real estate agents where they're driving a lot. And the two concepts are, you know, if you buy a $50,000 car, you depreciate it. And then you take the actual expenses for gas, tires, oil changes, things like that. The other option is you track your mileage. And so the usual response is, oh, so I don't have to track my mileage on the actual. I'm like, no, because we take a percentage. You know, so, so if you drove 20,000 miles total, 15,000 of that was business, then we're going to take, you know, 15 twentieths of, of all your expenses and and deduct it that way. The other thing is meals, and there's some recent updates with from the IRS, um, well, I guess from Congress, on meals where if it comes from a restaurant and it's reasonable and a, a necessary business expense, um, where they're 100% deductible, where before it was just 50% deductible. 100%. Yeah, most of the time meals are just 50% deductible mm -hmm. um, under the 2018 tax laws. Um, and then just recently they changed that for 2021 uh, where things coming, uh, expenses directly from a restaurant would be 100% deductible. See, that guy is just racking up all his, he's trying to date and do business. <laughs> <at the same time. laughs> yeah, made sure it was from a restaurant, no Costco in there. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. <laughs> Those are some of the difficult things for this year with the tax season was they changed that later. And so you can't, you know, the first couple of months, we didn't even know that was going to be 
in the tax code. And so we couldn't tax plan for that. And, and so it's, it's good to have a CPA where they're, they're kind of watching that of things that are changing and knowing what could be deductible. Cause um, you know, there's entertainment issues that may not be deductible unless you structure it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, then you could deduct some of that entertainment. You know, I know this is ele- some of this stuff is elementary, but but some of the elementary stuff is, of course, what people don't know. So you mentioned the term LLC. Explain that and explain how what that has to do with small business. Yeah. And I'll try and stay inbounds a little bit with the, not step on the attorney's toes here. Mm-hmm. But essentially with an LLC, those are governed by the state. They're not recognized by the IRS. The IRS only recognizes partnerships and corporations. And what does LLC stand for? Uh, limited liability company. Okay. So essentially, just like it says, you're a way to limit your liability so that if you have assets inside of this company, they can't sue for assets for outside, know, of, that. outside of that yeah. or for your personal assets, things like that, as long as you're not negligent and stuff like that. And so essentially when you set up this business, uh, you set it up as an LLC and typically with clients that are just starting out where, you know, who knows which route it's going to go if they're going to have sufficient income. I'll have them start with an LLC and then make maybe make the S election later. And that's part of the S corp election. So recognizing it with the IR, with the IRS. And typically that threshold is usually once they're making about 35 to 40,000 of net income. Um, some people have it do it prior to that, but the issue there is once you make the S election and be an S corp to the IRS, now you have to file a separate tax return. So your CPA bill automatically goes up and now you have to run payroll as well. So administratively, at least at our pricing and things like that, an S corp usually costs you about 1200 ish dollars. And so I mm-hmm. wait till there's enough savings in the taxes to justify that. Yeah. Um, and that's around that realm. Yeah. Starting out as an LLC and then always make the uh, if you make enough or too much money, you can always make the S election later. Do you feel like <laughs> with a lot of people that you're just basically holding their hands through your process? Because even as you talk, my mind just got jumbled during that last little bit. So is it, <laughs> do a lot of people just come to you and they're like, okay, I'll listen to you. Yeah, to some extent. And it depends on what phase mm-hmm. it is as well. Yeah. Some people really struggle with just uh, information gathering, you know, getting the documents that you get in the mail, things like that. I just say, you know, just get a folder, put it in there and then send it to my office or bring it by when it's tax time. The other one is bookkeeping. The first year I started my business, I tried to just primarily focus on taxes. Well, I found that I couldn't even do the business taxes because the books were so terrible. Yeah, uh, We really needed to start a bookkeeping side of our business to get people up to speed to where we could actually do the taxes. And I uh, tell business owners this a lot of times is don't tell the bookkeeper, but that's really where a lot of the magic happens is because as you're looking through those transactions, making decisions, categorizing stuff, that's kind of when you're doing some of your tax planning um, is going through that process. And, and there's always you know, that end goal in mind and the bookkeeper is helping you with that. And the bookkeeper is doing basically keeping track of revenue versus expenses. And then expenses and then categorizing it correctly. Yeah, I see. Um, The Mm -hmm. other thing that we've seen, and it's kind of an issue in my industry that I've seen is, uh, for example, so I mean, we have hundreds of clients. I've never had a new client where their books have matched their tax return ever. Mm So as a former tax auditor, I say, okay, let's, and this is a little bit part of my sales mm-hmm. pitch. It's a little bit of fear tactic. Yeah. <laughs> okay, put me back in the tax auditor's shoes again. Let's look at your books. Let's look at your tax return and let's see if they match. 100% they always should, you know, because if you're going to get audited, right. then you're going to back up what you put. What you told the IRS, you better be able to back up. Never have they ever matched before. Really? Uh, in my case, you know, it yeah. might not be the case. There's um, Well, that, that isn't surprising because the tax code is, is extremely complicated. And I think most people, I, I don't want to say they're dishonest. They're just clueless 
a lot of times is what's going on and so they think like taking some girl out to dinner <laughs> you know, is, they're, yeah. they're stretching it on those yeah. but there are other ways that they don't even know they can write off something yeah and and that's and it's twofold on that is one the bookkeeper's not doing their job possibly yeah not reconciling with the bank account if, if they have a hundred dollar transaction going through are they making sure that the you know quickbooks or whatever it is has a hundred dollars as well the other thing is is the cpa making sure that the bookkeeper's doing their job as well yeah um and that we've got all the appropriate transactions that they've actually reviewed the books and things because there's some clients that we do the books for that we may not do the tax return mm. and they'll always say okay taxes are done i'm like another uh, no, not because we haven't even just the books. done the books you haven't even sent us your statements mm-hmm. yet That's so not. how often do, would you recommend that uh, uh someone meet with their cpa monthly every six months so what i typically do it depends on the size of client so mm-hmm. what i tell people is you know we're always slammed January through April, really part, partly into May as well, because um, yeah. uh, we're still wrapping up stuff. So I tell people June and July are our slow times, and then November and December are the slow times. So if you want quality time, do it in those time frames. Those time frames. Because all the other times, especially if you're coming to us in September and October, at that point, you're just paying for numbers on a return. Um, yeah. I mean, because we, we've just got to whip it out as fast as possible at that point. Sometimes in March and April, but if you're you know, you got a big job where it's, hey, you know, and we look at your books and you've never done your reconciliations in five years. We're like, yeah, this is going to be a 40-hour job. Like, there's no way we can do that in the middle of March. Right. And so it, it's that that's where you, those clients, you really say, hey, we're probably going to have to extend you. Let's do some estimates. Let's really figure this out in, in June, you know, into May, June-ish, and, and put this together. So what's the um, uh, percentage of – I mean, I know it's low – but what is the percentage of tax audits coming from the IRS? Or do we know? I, I'm sure there is a study out there. I don't know what it is. I yeah. know they say if you make under a million, you have a um, 0.06% chance of being audited. If you make over a million, you have a 6% chance of being audited. Oh. That's the statistic. I'm staying under a million, Steph. Yeah, I'm just cutting it off. <laughs> Whatever. What? The other day, I was happy because someone told us that you make what the five people closest to you make. Oh, and yeah. so I'm hoping that Scott makes in the billions. So that, like, yeah. Well, I'm stopping at 999000 this year. You know, come September, I'm going on vacation. Yeah. 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 And, and another thing is some people will jump the gun and they file and then they want to amend and i tell them i say every single amendment is reviewed by the irs you know whether they have the time to actually review it they might just push the button you might get lucky but yeah. it will be uh, oh so of, an amendment will be looked at closer yeah it's kind of like it could be a desk audit where somebody yeah. just at least looks at it kind of thing mm-hmm. and then I, in one case i've had a client who wanted to amend again and i was like i mean that's just asking for it essentially yeah. and at that point it's like hey if you couldn't get it right twice we're going to figure something and, out. And, and hasn't the audit percentage gone down over the course of time? Maybe because the population is bigger? I don't know. Somewhat it can be. Less agents. You know, mm-hmm. the IRS had a real budget issue. Yeah. And they were hi- trying to hire more. Uh, when I was coming agents. out of my master's program was during the recession. They were trying to ramp up the number of agents. And that's when I ended up at the tax commission for the state of Utah. Um, partly because we're one of the only divisions that makes money for the state, you know, in a sense. I, yeah. The, the, the listeners may disagree that we make money. <laughs> um, but, yeah, where we were profitable, where we um, – I know the year that we were there, there, there was one year where they announced it. And we – of our budget, we had surpassed that by $200 million for mm-hmm. the state. So we contributed $200 million to the state's budget rather than taking away from yeah. it. Yeah, that's always nice. Yeah. 
yeah on auditing and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that and so i'm like eh, if you want to make more i shouldn't say make more money uh, if you want to collect more money yeah. hire more auditors you know they'll yeah. find so it. what would what would be what are some of the biggest couple of things that seem to trip people up in their taxes when they're going to an accountant i mean what what seems to be something that glares out at the at the federal government that hey this is not right which doesn't mean that they're being dishonest it just means yeah they don't know what they're doing a lot of the times so with our clients um and i saw this as an auditor and then also working uh, on the on the pre- preparation side was just missing forms you know especially now with obamacare and having the 1095a for health care um if you got a a premium tax credit you've got you have to file a tax return regardless and you have to have that form on there otherwise your return will reject uh for example people that do summer sales yeah. um, they receive 1099s and maybe they switch companies part way through so they might be receiving multiple 1099s if they're not tracking that and making sure they open their mail they've probably moved a couple times or going to college you know different apartments oh yeah um so there's these 1099s that are out there that the irs got a copy of but they may or may not have a copy of and the irs just sends them a essentially a letter audit that says hey you missed this send us the money yeah um and and a lot of those you know we'll review see if it's accurate and if it is and yeah we we probably owe the money if not then you know we look at it and see how it's going to affect our return and maybe we make some adjustments before we respond i'm so afraid of authority figures so i'm thinking back to my taxes and being like okay I hope I didn't miss anything. I think I cut all the forms. But um, I have a question for you. Will the IRS ever call an individual and say that they're going to jail because they didn't pay their taxes? No. No. It, <laughs> if you're being honest, I know why you're asking that question. <laughs> this is someone that both Scott and I know. Asking for was, a friend. Was at the bank and yeah. almost wired the money no, to account. Yeah. It was yeah. a scam, of course. Yeah. 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 No, if you are being audited by the IRS, so and and really the IRS mostly tries to go after you civilly, not criminally. Um, mm-hmm. If it reaches that point, then you'll know that the IRS is looking into mm-hmm. you. It's probably been a year or two or three that they've been sending you letters, trying okay. to get a hold of you, going through that whole process. No, ironically, I have received a handwritten note from the IRS before and I was like, BS, this is not real. And we called the IRS themselves, verified his badge number, everything. It was a legitimate IRS letter and he had handwritten a note to me. Oh, oh really? really? Whatever. <laughs> Um, so that is a possibility. Um, I thought that was kind of bizarre. And so, so the, uh, and there are possibilities. I have had auditors contact me, but usually we knew it was coming or yeah. there was a letter beforehand. Or Well, and you're working with people all the time. Like that's your profession. Like as an uh, individual, it's probably not going to happen that they're calling them. I would think not. Yeah. Uh, otherwise you would know it's coming. Yeah. Like they've sent you various letters and, and things like that. And, and usually at that point, you probably already have a lien on your on your account your, your social security number has been lean uh-huh. things like that yeah you're probably down that road already and the example i i give is the uh and i can't remember his name right now the uh the first winner of survivor because he eventually went to oh yeah tax he, evasion oh yeah i remember um, that guy he made like a million bucks or something like yeah, that a million dollars off survivor it yeah. took him years before they finally incarcerated him and, um, yeah you know and so they will he didn't pay taxes off survivor no and that's why he went to <laughs> yeah. jail that's a very public thing to not pay <laughs> yeah that one was yeah. They, they call those tax protesters and there's uh, some people that just refuse to pay taxes and okay it just it happens. A lot of our listeners, you know, they're they're showing their clients these homes, but they're also investing in several properties themselves. So what do you recommend for people 
with houses, with taxes. Yeah, and particularly real estate agents yeah, as well. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and like multiple properties. With having a real estate license actually opens up some doors because mm. having rental properties, since you're in the real estate business, now that's part of your business is owning rentals and things like that. So, because generally on paper, you know, a, a rental property with depreciation, mortgage interest, all these expenses that you have usually creates a tax loss because the government's giving you 27 and a half years to recoup your, you know, ex- your uh, depreciation, the cost of the house. And so you may cash flow positive, but on your tax return, it actually is negative because of those. And being a real estate agent, it allows that to flow through as ordinary loss rather than a passive loss. As long as you make under 150,000, then that passive loss can still flow through and it probably doesn't, you know, it just offsets, it doesn't affect you that much. It just comes right through. But if you make over 150,000, that passive loss could get locked up where it'll stay there until you have passive income to offset it or you sell the property. Some higher net worth individuals, we do talk with them about that of, hey, if you're gonna buy a lot of real estate, maybe one of you becomes a real estate agent and you still have to do the, there's a hourly requirement. So you have to at least work 750 hours as a real estate agent. So, I mean, a year. You can't, yeah, a year. you can't just have the yeah. license uh-huh. and do it. So you have to be active in it. Um, but that might be part of the tax strategy to. And then I've also heard people with a bunch of properties that they put it in an LLC. And, and again, we're dabbling in the uh, legal realm. Oh, that's more legal. Um, Sorry. But that's okay. I, yeah. I, you know, in theory, you talk with an attorney, but uh-huh. I usually tell people, you know, try and have each rental property in an LLC. And the, and the way to think of it is that limited liability. If what if someone trips, breaks their sure. leg because you were fixing the sprinklers, you knew it was there the whole, it's been there for a month. You know, yeah. that, that could open up some liability where at least now, hopefully you're trying to lock it into where they can only sue for that property, that bank account, things like that, that you're not, you don't have four rental properties inside that LLC and now they can sue for all, yeah, four, for all four of them, even yeah, though the accident happened on one of the one other piece. ones. Yeah, and so, property. Yeah. And usually, you know, structurally, um, I usually draw it out for my clients where you've got like a management company and then that management company may own or may just manage you know, the various different LLCs that you have, which own all these properties and, and things like that. So it kind of creates that flow chart of how your organization is structured. And, you know, if it's commissions that come across or if it's just a management fee that you get paid um, or, if, or if you just leave it there and you take the loss at the, at the LLC level. I mean, I know that there are probably a lot of things that real estate agents can do to improve their situation on their taxes but is there anything that you see specifically for a real estate agent that is very important that could be overlooked particularly young agents that are just getting into the business is there anything that sticks out a lot of it is just keeping track of your expenses continuing education your licensing those expenses that you're making towards earning that money keep track of that so you can write it off um And that would be on your Schedule C, even if you have like a sole proprietor LLC, that LLC, if you're the only person in there, it's not recognized by the the federal government. So you're still just filing a Schedule C. It's more of a legal structure, Mm -hmm. not a tax structure Mm -hmm. in a sense. And so just keeping track of those expenses so it can end up on your return and offset that. that And some way to prove that, which usually means you're you're doing that through something through the bank cash is not a particularly great way to pay expenses yeah definitely not so i tell my clients you know usually i'm the first line of defense where i talk with them see what they're actually looking for if, if we were to get an irs letter try and use the schedules we did have when we prepared it see if that would please the auditor then we go to quickbooks then we might go to the bank statements and then if 
if uh, we still can't get it resolved, then we might go to the receipts. Um, so I usually tell people receipts are plan D, but if we're getting that far down, you better have them um, because we're going to need them at that point. Yeah. Usually we can get it resolved beforehand. Yeah. Say one of our listeners just barely got their, their license and they don't have their own home yet. What's your advice? Because isn't it harder to get a loan if you're self-employed and just starting that self-employment? So how can they prepare for that if they're a newer agent and want to own that home? for themselves yeah that's going to be a hard one um because cpas and bank guys are on the opposite ends of the spectrum because we Uh try and make your taxes look as terrible as possible you know typically yeah Uh you pay the least amount the bank wants it to look the best as possible okay so you've got to figure out what's the happy median in there where you can still get a loan but not show too much income and like I was talking before, that Schedule C or the self-employment income can really hurt you because you're going to pay your normal, you know, 10, 12 or 22 percent or higher of income tax. Uh, but then on top of that, you're going to pay an extra 15 percent self-employment tax. So some people just say, oh, I'll just leave it on, you know, not not write off all my miles or something um, to increase their income. Well, they got to remember that you're probably going to get taxed, you know, 30 to 35 percent on that income. So if you you know, take off $10,000 of expenses, your tax bill just went up by 3,500 bucks potentially. And so it's, it's, you got to find that happy median because yeah, our goal is usually to try and make sure you pay the least amount of taxes. So, bank. and that would be something that like to talk to your CPA about, this is my goal. And usually, I mean, the real estate agents will know more is because usually you need two years of tax returns. Mm-hmm. And so we really need to know two years ahead of time, if you're going to be buying a house pass. that we can start preparing your taxes and, and, making sure if, if we want it to look right. I've had that happen before where people come back to me and say, hey, you ruined my house deal. <laughs> like, well, you didn't tell me that. And I just made your taxes look as terrible as possible. And yeah, so if we know ahead of time, then we know not to be maybe so aggressive or, okay. or, or maybe could maneuver some things a little bit. And then I had another question about, okay, so you had talked about bookkeeping because I think that that's probably, sounds like where people stumble, especially since you've said that most taxes don't match (laughs) their bookkeeping. So for people that are just keeping track for themselves, are there any tools that you recommend that that can help them or? Yeah, so I've looked at all, a lot of different um, bookkeeping softwares and some of the other ones are getting better and some bookkeepers out here if they're listening would disagree uh-huh. with me but so far QuickBooks still is the best one okay but they also know that they've got a good product and so they also throw their weight around and it's a little more expensive and the prices are even going up this year mm-hmm. things like that where they're making it to where it hurts a little bit to, oh, really? you know mm. um, so they don't have a free version of it they have the self-employed version uh-huh. which is super cheap and basically useless okay um if if you want a large cpa bill go with the self-employed version because <laughs> it's very limiting you can't create new categories things okay. like that like you have to fit inside their box uh-huh. and i would say 99 percent of businesses don't and so it's much better to go with the, the the simple start or the essentials or if you really need to if you're a large enough business with some of the other bigger ones just so that the even on our end the cpa side has more tools to use and be able to match up things and and compare with where we've got. And and a lot of it is, re, like when we review the books, we'll look at the net income number and review. I mean, it's, it's not that we review every transaction, but we kind of make sure that Arby's isn't in sales and, mm-hmm. and Best Buy is not in utilities. Like that things kind of make sense because we're not going to know everything that's going on yeah, yeah. in your books, but that generally they th- make sense. And then that way, when we're going through that process, when we come down to the bottom line, 
those are the numbers that go on your tax return. Really going through that process is the tax preparation process. And at that point, your tax return is a piece of cake. And so sometimes with invoices and stuff, like, why is there so much bookkeeping time? I was like, because that's where we did a lot of our Mm -hmm. uh, tracking and things. And then and at that point, you're just putting numbers on a return because we've already done all the thinking and, and stuff like that. And sometimes it can be beneficial, uh, again, if the bookkeepers are listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Sometimes the bookkeepers can be cheaper, but then we still spend three, four hours fixing some of that stuff and verifying because mm-hmm. and, they haven't done recs or mm-hmm. not every account was been, has been reconciled and, and don't, had that comparison done. And at our firm, we... Unless the client's specified, we expect it to be done before it hits our mm-hmm. hits our table, um, and so we have to go back sometimes. So I tell them you might get a you might find a cheaper bookkeeper, which is fine, and then just plan on adding a couple hundred bucks <laughs> for us to review it and fix it. Do you recommend? Because I'm someone that I like to get rid of receipts. Do you recommend scanning them in, or does it matter if people just keep them? What does? Yeah, and and I'm a little bit old school where yeah. I've never really scanned my receipts. Uh-huh. I. So I just have envelopes that I just have, you know, January of 2020 and all okay. the January receipts went in there. I assume, again, it's plan D. Sure. If we're going to the statements and things, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that was in January. At least I know where that envelope yeah. is. We're going through an audit right now with a client where it got, it's getting down to receipts and he doesn't have them. And and uh, I, we talked about faded receipts mm-hmm. and <clears throat> it was interesting because um, I've I've always been a receipt saver. And yeah. so I have my receipts back until like 2010. Just because oh, they're in a file cabinet and I never bothered to throw uh, yeah. them away. Yeah. And the auditor said, go check. I'll, I'll bet they will not be faded. The only time they fade is because of heat. So you left them in your pocket too long uh, or you left them in the car. And I was like, oh, interesting. So I went and looked. Yep. All my receipts are there and they all have the ink on them. And I was like, interesting. Because I, I just assumed they were all faded. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how, so how far back can the uh, IRS go back for a tax return yeah, to go after tax returns? Is it 10 years? I heard that. Or so is that not right? I just have that far overseas. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, just an overachiever. <laughs> well, he's, yeah, he's a CPA. Well, so he's, he's got stuff from when he was in diapers. And the, uh, yeah, the honest truth is I, I remember I opened my first bank account in 93, <laughs> and I still had the statements from them, and I threw yeah. those away last year. <laughs> Oh, so, make they probably yeah. stuck to your hand and you were like, I got to get rid of these. That's why it only went to 2010 when I, <laughs> when I went and looked. Yeah. How long can the IRS oh, yeah. go back to, to, to audit or approach you about income that had been made? Is it is it so, for a return? Or if somebody didn't re- file a return, is, yeah. can they go back endless? So it's uh, three years plus really the current year. It kind of depends on what time of the year you are yeah um so that's what i tell my clients basically th- they can go back three years plus the current year kind of if they think it's more going to be more than a 25 percent adjustment that they then they can go back seven years plus the current again depending on what time of the year you're in uh, if they think it's fraud they can go back forever oh mm-hmm. um if and those are the statute limitations if you've never filed then that statute never starts running oh. um and so if you are worried about you know something it's better to file and at least start that statute yeah than than not file Right. And so the other question I have is it's kind of like – I don't know what the – I don't know how even to say this. It's hard when you're a consumer to know who's a good dentist until you use them, who's a good attorney until you use them, who's a good doctor. For all you know, you know, the doctor does something wrong you don't even know for years. Who's a good insurance salesman. Yeah, who's a good insurance guy. Yeah. And same way with CPAs. I'm not quite sure what the – test that you should be looking for so is there something out there that a that a real estate agent can look at and say hey 
this is at least some indications of a good firm. Yeah. Um, mine goes back to the, my little sales pitch there is when I say, pull up your books and pull up your tax return. If they don't match, either you gave them bad information or they adjusted it and never gave you feedback on fixing that. And there was a disconnect there. In my opinion, the CPA should have fixed that disconnect. I mean, that's what you pay them for. Yeah. And so that's what I would do. If you own a business or an LLC or an S corp, go look at your books, go look at your tax return. If they don't match, that's a clear indicator, which is also difficult because that's most CPAs I've met. You know, yeah. and so I've tried to push I, when I talk, talk with other CPAs, I talk to them about that and say, hey, you know, do do our industry a favor and make sure you're doing that. And then even with like since we're talking real estate as well, uh, tracking basis, knowing how much you've paid for something basis on an entity. So whenever you get your tax return of an LLC or an S corp, you should have basis schedules in there. We give them to our clients that way they have them. I would say most CPAs don't track that. And if you ever go to sell that LLC, uh, you're you're, uh, you know. You're in trouble. Up creek without a paddle. Yeah. And so, because that's how much you've put into it, how much you previously taxed. There, I mean, there are other indicators you could use to kind of figure that out. But And and some of the, a lot of the big firms in Utah do track that. But then even going back to uh, real estate, if you bought a property for 300000 and we found this as well as an issue, when we're depreciating that on Schedule E or in a, in a business as a rental property, whenever they sell it with our clients, we go back through and review everything and make sure that we're getting the most bang for our buck. We've not ever had a settlement statement match the prior year return as well, where we're depreciating <laughs> the correct things with the new clients. And so going back and seeing how much they paid for it, plus the closing costs, commissions, you know, things like that, because all that is going to be included in your basis, sure. unless you got a deduction for it already. Um, we did one this week where we were working with a client and uh, this one ended up being a 1031, so it didn't matter as much. But by making sure we had the right numbers for 1031, we found that the previous CPA had missed $60,000. And so I said, I mean, with, at your tax rate, that would have cost you $10,000 if you'd sold it. Or eventually on that 1031, that's going to cost you $10,000 in lost depreciation, where just missing a little piece on the uh, settlement statement can, can really mess you up. Sounds like you're you're a man who knows his stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, that five years of auditing just made me nitpicky. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's good. Yeah. You definitely want that in your CPA. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah. And and it's interesting with new clients because they you know are with our checklists and emailing and, sh and the way we're structured is they're like man either no one's ever asked me this many questions so that's either good or bad you know the, yeah. that we were missing stuff or really good that you're being really thorough with us and and a lot of times especially. That first year, we want to know everything to make sure we get it right because then going forward, we just assume, hey, we did our job the first year. We, we can assume that those numbers are correct going forward. And so we really make sure that first year that we audit everything going through and, and try and make our clients audit proof if we can. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and generally, a 1031 involves a title company. I usually tell people when they say, hey, do you do 1031s? I'm like, yeah, we can file the tax forms, but you're going to need to involve a title company because you can never take possession of the money, has to go to escrow. Um, and right there, you're automatically yeah. going to go with a title company and so and then just learning you know the dates that you got to follow identifying properties and making sure the deal's closed and so we usually tell them to i mean we can help them with the compliance but really that title company is going to be the one that's watching over that transaction and i wonder steph i wonder what title company that would be good at that <laughs> <laughs> i wonder <laughs> yep yeah i mean th that that's interesting too i mean there's just so many things it seems to me in the uh, tax code that a cpa can be looking out for you that that makes them a valuable part partner in anyone who's um and not just business people um but also just regular people that make a lot of money yeah 
Well, a lot of it is because, I mean, a lot of people, you expect your CPA to be a walking encyclopedia in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've got to do research and things. And I really sometimes can lean, try and lean on the ones in, in that profession. You know, if it's a financial advisor yeah. based on transactions with a 401k or things like that. Uh, we'll, we know how it'll affect the tax return, but we may not know all the compliance behind it. And right. so it's saying, yeah, work with them. I mean, I know how to do it on my end. Work with them to make sure we're compliant and do it right. You know, title companies and and all different things. And yeah, it's the, the CPA doesn't have to know everything, in, in my opinion. And there's no way we yeah. could either. Right. It's knowing enough to make sure we know, hey, you ought to work with a financial advisor on this and or a title company and make yeah. sure you get things right. It's a team. Yep, very much. One thing I thought about with uh, real estate agents and just real estate in general is solar credits. Um, Because people have a lot of the salesmen go around and things like that. Right. Well, tell us about the solar credits. (laughs) So, yeah, if you buy, you put solar on your house, it has to be installed, and you can get a deduction based on a percentage of, of the total invoice that you received, a federal credit, and then there's some state credits as well. But they will offset their offset only taxes. They're non refundable. And so, the example that we saw two weeks ago was really unfortunate. We were helping a gentleman with his taxes because he thought he'd have a real complicated tax situation. Come to find out he was living off Social Security. They installed solar. Well, he had no tax liability. And so this guy said, yeah, you're going to get $10,000 solar credit. Well, not if you don't owe any taxes. You're not going to get right. anything. So that just is wasted. Yeah, it was wasted. And it was, yeah. And I, I get it. The solar guys aren't going to know everyone's tax situation. You know, yeah. you're not going to show your tax return to a solar guy. But having people aware of that, that, hey, if, if you do that, you need to have tax liability and to make sure that you're offset, you have something to offset. Otherwise, it's non-refundable. There, there are carry forwards that you, that you can use and stuff, yeah. um, but, but making sure that's there. Yeah. Podcasts like this, a lot of times just kind of focuses and crystallizes in people's minds that you know what i really don't know a lot about that subject and there's a reason why there's cpas out there there's a reason why they have attorneys there's a reason why they have real estate agents title companies because these people specialize in all these different departments and you use them as a team you do have to pay them but in the long run they're well worth their yeah. their yeah. money, and I don't mind clients even Google searching it beforehand, kind of educating themselves a little bit. You know, making sure. I mean, we'll, we'll fill in the gaps yeah. as we chat, mm-hmm. but it, it's near impossible to explain a ten thirty one when someone's never owned real estate and they're asking all these random yeah. questions. You're right? Like, well, you know, where does this come from? And so I like it when they've done a little bit of research, tried to at least educate themselves, and then we can fill in some of those gaps. And it makes the conversation a little more productive that way. Uh, If you're a business person out there, uh, CPA is an integral part of the team that you should have. And so if you don't have one, give Dave a call. Yeah, That's what I'd say. That's right. We'd love to help them out. Well, it's come to the time of the show where it's time for you to nominate someone for our listeners to hear from their wisdom. And so who do you have for us, Dave? I've used them in the past for some of the real estate transactions and some uh, different investments and things that I've done. So Clint Garner uh, down in Spanish Fork with Meritrue Real Estate Management. I feel like they really try and show the client where they can make their best return on investment. If it makes sense for them to have a rental property, to buy a property. And, and go through that process to really figure out what is best for their financial situation. Well, we're going to get Clint down there in Spanish Fork to come up here and be on our podcast. So if anyone listening, they want to have you as their CPA, how can they contact you? Yeah, they can get a hold of us through email or on the phone. So my phone number is 801-901-7061. That'll ring to our office. Or they can email me at 
david at bushmanaccounting.com. Bushmanaccounting.com. They can look us up and kind of look at my history and, and some of the things we've done. And we'd love to be able to help them out. We hope that you guys from this episode, if you've been feeling overwhelmed with your books or if you've been like, or you're on the run or you're thinking <laughs> or you're like now making a lot more money than you've ever made because you're killing it in real estate um, Bushman Accounting, they will take care of you and help you out. Tune into episodes from other nominees. Head on over to nominationspodcast.com. And while you're there, if you're tired of Zoom classes, because I certainly am, come over to the Silver Dollar Academy. I've handpicked the brightest and the most dynamic instructors so those classes are not going to be a snooze fest but if you're like me and technology bothers you and you like the old-fashioned way call chris our concierge at 801-266-0606 in order to learn more about the silver dollar academy this broadcast is brought to you by title one located in sandy we are utah's leading title company in securing a house for your clients homes (laughs) 